if you know how a story ends, it removes a lot of the drama. Isn't that true? I mean, once you find out that Cinderella finds the other sl slipper, the story is not nearly as compelling. Or, or once you figure out that Dorothy gets back to Kansas safely, the story loses a little bit of its tension. How many of you know that once you know the end of the story, the story is just not quite the same ever again? Isn't that right? So you've got to wake up a little bit. I need you to help me preach a little bit this morning. I mean, maybe, I, I, okay, I, let's do it this way, with the, at least with the men. There'll be some women here that can relate with this as well. But maybe some of you have ever, have you recorded a sporting event and, and a football game or something like that because you couldn't watch it live. And then you told everybody around you, say, now listen, nobody tell me the score. And there's always some boneheaded person in there in your, in your circle of friends that tells you the score and they act like it was an accident, right? And then when you watch the game, it's not as exciting because you already know who won or lost. How many of you have ever been there? You ever been there? I mean, what I find is that if my team lost, I just don't watch it. I just don't even care anymore. And, and, but even if my team won, I'll watch it, but I don't watch it with the same amount of excitement and enthusiasm and anticipation because I already know the outcome of it. Well, listen, the same thing is true about the Christmas story. We know that Jesus was, was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. We know uh, the shepherds see the angels and then they go to the stable to find the baby. We know that the wise men came from the east and to find the king that had been born. We, we know how Herod tried to kill Jesus in a fit of jealousy and fear. We know that Mary and Joseph escaped with Jesus to Egypt. We know the whole story. We know everything about it. All of us have heard the Christmas story. Is there anybody in the house who has never heard the Christmas story before? Let me see your hand. Anybody here? I don't see any hands. Everybody knows the Christmas story because we've heard it over and over and over again. And so as a pastor, finding something new to say about the Christmas story can really be a challenge. This morning, what I want to do, I want to encourage you, even though it may not be new to you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking you to, to listen to the story with fresh ears and, and listen to the story with open minds and open hearts because this is the most amazing story you will ever hear in your life. Look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the Spirit of Jesus Christ, excuse me, now the Spirit, I don't know where that came from. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, in verse 22, Matthew explains the background of the whole story to us. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Who is the prophet? The prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, had written, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everybody say, God with us. God with us. This morning I want to talk with you for a few minutes about those three words, God with us. In this passage, it says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, and that means God with us. Say it again, 
God with us. You know, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, as he lay upon his deathbed, his, the last words on his lips were, it is good that God is with, is with us. And my prayer for you as a, as a congregation, for, for you today this Christmas season, is that these words would be more than just words on your lips on your deathbed, but it would be in your heart, not just at Christmas, but all year long. God with us. Say it one more time. God with us. I want to preach on three words. You can probably guess what they are. God with us. That's right. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, which means God with us. First of all, I want us to understand that it means God with us. Well, what, is, what is Matthew saying here? He, Matthew's saying that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, which means that Jesus is God with us. It means that, 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 that he is God who has come among us. This is a revolutionary concept. It's a mind-blowing idea. Jesus isn't just a human, but Jesus is God with us. You know, you, you cannot read the New Testament without finding that it says in every text and in every story, within every contour of the pages of the Bible, that Jesus is God. You, you come across this idea that is foreign to every other religion. The idea is that Jesus is God. John said it beautifully and poetically in John chapter 1 when he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God with us. And John said it poetically, but Paul said it passionately when he was talking to the leaders of the early church in Acts 20. He said, so guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased, listen to this, with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So whose blood did God use to purchase the church? It's not a trick question. Listen, if you're ever in church and a question is asked, always guess Jesus first. Because you're, you're going to be right 90% of the time. It's the blood of Jesus, that's right. So Paul is saying, this, he says he was, that we were purchased with his own blood. So Paul is saying God purchased us with his own blood, which is very clear reference that he's saying Jesus' blood is God's blood that he purchases, but Jesus is God with us. He's saying that very clearly. And, and the Bible tells us that very directly, but he also, it also tells us indirectly. There are different ways that the Bible tells us that Jesus is God, and this is a big deal. So follow, follow along with me for a few moments. Now, I want you to think about it. In the Old Testament especially, anytime an angel appeared to a man, uh, the, the man almost always would fall down to worship the angel, right? And then what would the angel do? The angel would say, get up, don't worship me. I'm just an angel. And in the, in the New Testament, when the apostles did some, some great miracles, people would, would oftentimes fall down and worship them. This happened to Paul multiple times on his missionary journeys. And Paul would, would tell them, hey, get up, don't worship me, I'm just a man. But you know what, when Jesus does a miracle... When Jesus does something extraordinary and people call, come to him and they fall down at his feet and they begin to worship him, Jesus never once says, get up, don't worship me. 
The, the angels knew they weren't God. The apostles knew they weren't God. But Jesus knew that he was God, so he accepted their worship. He received their praise. He accepted their adoration. And by accepting it, he is saying, I am God. The, the, think with me for another moment about this. Jesus walks around and there, he does something very controversial at the time. You know what it was? He, he forgave people's sin. Now let's just, I want you to put this in context, help you understand this. Let's imagine for a moment that Josh Pierce is at home and, uh, and uh, he says something smart to Haley. I know this is really out there, you know, because he would never do such a foolish thing. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, anyway, he does that and Haley just gets so upset with him that she just pulls her fist back and pops him in the nose. And Haley's back there saying, I've dreamed of this moment. Many times. So let's just say that I happen to be in their neighborhood and, and all this is going on and I walk into their house and right on the heels of this, I walk into their house and I say, oh, oh, Haley, I forgive you. You know, Josh would be like, what on earth are you talking about? She didn't hit you in the nose. She hit me in the nose. How can you forgive her? See, the crime was not committed against me. He would say, she didn't do it to you. The crime was against me. But yeah, here's Jesus. He's walking around and people have committed all kinds of sins against all kinds of different people. And yet Jesus does what? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That, and that causes the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law to say, who does he think he is walking around forgiving sins? Who does he think he is? Well, he knows that he's God. You see, here's the thing. A sin against Josh is not just a sin against Josh. A sin against Josh is a sin against God because God created Josh. So God can forgive that sin. How many of you are tracking with what I'm saying? Jesus is God. This is a revolutionary idea. It's an incredible thought for us today. Jesus is God and he is God with us and there are two things that about this that, that are incredible to me the first is that jesus declared that he was god you see there's a there's a whole vein of so-called scholars there's a, there's a group of popular journalists there are people who want to tell you that jesus never said he was god and they'll try to tell you that jesus was just a good teacher they'll try to tell you that jesus told great stories but he never declared that he was god and never claimed to be the messiah but from the very beginning of the gospel we understand that he is emmanuel he is god with us he's not just a good teacher with us he's not just a good storyteller with her he's not just a a, a nice man with us the Bible is trying to teach us something here, and that is that Jesus is God with us. Somebody say amen. amen. Not only did Jesus declare it, but his disciples believed he was God. Now, this is amazing to me. His disciples believed it. We know this because later on, uh, they, they went on and declared that he was God. Jesus asked the question while he was walking the earth. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, with this great revelation from God, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I want you to think about that for a moment. What a, what a momentous moment that was at that, at, that, at, at that confession. Because let me just put it this way. If you're trying to get people to believe that you are God, who would you start with? Would you start with the people who know you best? I don't think so. 
Nope. If I'm trying to convince people that I'm God, I am definitely not starting with Julie and my girls. Because they know me too well, right? And they know better to believe that I'm God. They know, they'd say, oh yeah, right. Like God snores that loud, right? (laughs) Yet, Yet these disciples who knew Jesus best, these disciples who walked with him day after day and traveled with him all across the land, these disciples who were with him nearly every moment of every day, these disciples who knew Jesus best believed him when he said he was God. And that's even more amazing when we understand who these disciples are because they are Jewish men. They are not pantheists. Now, pantheists are people who believe that God is in everything. God's in every tree. God is in every rock. God is in every stream. And God paints all the, with all the colors of the wind. Thank you, Pocahontas. They, they believed that God was in everything and part of everything. And so it wouldn't be a big deal for them to say Jesus is God because they believe that God is in you and God is in me and God is in the flowers and God is in the trees. Let's all just sing Kumbaya and hold hands around the fire, right? No, these were Jewish men. They were not Romans. Romans were polytheists. That is, they believed in many gods. They believed that there were a lot of gods and that they believed that these gods Uh, periodically came to earth and had relations with humans and they create people like Hercules and other demigods that were half God and half half human they they would have believed when Jesus said that but these men are Jews there they are not polytheists they are not uh, uh, pantheists these men are monotheists and they believe that there is only one true God they believe there is only one God and his name is Yahweh and he sits on the throne in heaven and reigns from heaven over all the world and it never ever cross their minds that God would become a human being and be born and dwell among us. Yet there was something about Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that they were with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was something about the character of this man that caused John to say as a follower of Christ, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. There was something about Jesus that caused these people, people who would never believed that God would become a man who knew him intimately to believe that God had come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thought. He is God with us. It's the message of Christmas. Every other part of the story is secondary. Shepherds, Secondary, angels singing, secondary, wise men bringing the gifts, secondary, the star, secondary, Joseph and Mary, secondary. And if you miss this, you miss everything. Jesus is God with us. Now now listen, if Jesus is God with us, then that explains the what people would say, call the irritating ex- exclusivity of Christianity. You see, every other religion says our founder is a good teacher. Follow him. Listen to him. And you'll lead a better, more moral, more meaningful life. Muhammad's a good teacher. They would say, oh, he's a prophet from God. Listen to him and follow him. You'll live a better life. Hare Krishna, that's, he's a good teacher. Listen to him. Follow him. Buddha's a good teacher. Listen to him. Rub his belly and you'll have a good life. 
The Bible says that God isn't just a good teacher, that Jesus is not just a good teacher, but Jesus is God. And the Bible says your life is so messed up. Here's what Jesus says. You don't need more teaching. You don't, you don't need that. Somebody has to die for your sin. Somebody has to live the life that you should have lived and die the death that you deserve to die. He, he, says, he said your situation is so dire. You don't need more teaching. You need somebody to become your sacrifice so that you can be forgiven of your sin. And Jesus said, I will die in your place. Nobody else said that. Jesus said, I am God. And if Jesus is God, then the irritating exclusivity of Christianity that says that he is the only way is explained once and for all. He can't be just a good teacher if he's God dying in your place. He has to be one, uh, uh, the, the one and the only way. He is either right and he is either God as he declared it to be or he is absolutely insane. There are no other choices. Well, the third choice would be he's a liar. But we won't get into that. I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He is God with us. Now, second, I want you to note that it, Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is God with, God with us. You know, in the Old Testament, every time God appeared, people got scared. Or as they say, uh, in other parts of the country, they got skeered. You know, God appears on the mountain and the people of Israel and with all the, the, the darkness and the cloud and the smoke and the, and the rumbling and all the sound and all of these things. The people look at the mountain and, and God originally, originally he wanted the people to come up on the mountain there uh, at Mount Sinai. And, and, but the people look at this mountain and all the things and the, the wonder and the glory and the majesty and the power of God. And they say, hey, Moses, uh, why don't you go up on the mountain and we'll stay here. You just tell us what he said. God appears to Job, and the Bible describes him as a tornado, a whirlwind. I, I don't know if you've ever been through a tornado, but that's a scary thing. God appears to Abraham, and the, and the Bible describes him as a smoking furnace burning up the sacrifice. And God appears as a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Moses says, God, I want to see you. I, I just want a glimpse of you. Can I just see you? And, and God says, no, you can't look at me or you're going to die. But, but Moses says, but God, I, I want to see you. And God says... You can't look at me face to face, but I'll just let you see a little bit. Kind of really the, the essence that he says, I'll let you see the outskirts of my glory. And the Bible says that when Moses saw just that, his face shone so brightly that he had to wear a veil over his face when he went back down the mountain to walk among the people because the people were so frightened by the glow of God's glory on Moses' face. Here's what I'm saying. Every time God appears in the Old Testament, it is absolutely terrifying. It is scary. It is blinding in its glory. So people pull away from it. Say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be around that. It's frightening to me. It's, the glory is too much for a sinful human being to, to, to be able to take in. But imagine if Moses could have been around thousands of years later. He finds his way to Bethlehem. And there's God not churning in a whirlwind. There's God not blazing in a fire. There's God, not blinding in his glory, but there's God, Jesus, lying in a manger. He is God with us. He became 
one of us. He clothed himself in frail humanity. So Jesus is not just the transcendent God, you know, that is far off and approachable and is not like us and is far distant, but he is also the intimate God who comes close to us. Jesus is the God who knows where you've been because he's already been there. If you're walking through suffering today, guess what? Jesus has been there. If you're going through a trial today, guess what? Jesus has been there. If somebody's talking bad about you behind your back, I have a surprise for you. Jesus has been there. If your family thinks you're crazy, anybody here, your family thinks you're crazy? Some of you need to be raising your hand because I know you and I know your family thinks you're crazy. Uh, but, but, but listen, Jesus has been there. If people are accusing you and saying all kinds of things about you that are not true, Jesus has been there. If you're in the middle of a situation where you're saying, God, I don't know if I can go through with this, Jesus has already been there. He was there in the garden praying just like you're praying, God, take this away from me. I don't know if I can handle this. Is there, is there any other way? Let's do it any other way. If you're in a place where you feel that God has forgotten you, Jesus has already been there. He on the cross and said my God my God why hast thou forsaken me so you can't find a place on this planet you can't find a place in your heart you can't find a place in your life that Jesus hasn't already been he is God but he is God with us he is the exact representation of God but he's also the God who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities so this morning Please know that whatever struggle you're going through, Jesus is God with you. He's not just God ahead of you. He's not just God behind you. He's not just God over you, but he wants to be God with you, walking with you every single day. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Third, I want you to see this. He's not only God. He's not only God with. You probably already figured this one out. He's God with us. With us. Everybody say us. He doesn't say that Emmanuel means God with all. He doesn't say that Emmanuel doesn't mean God with everybody. He says that God is with us. So the question is, who is the us? Is it the VIP is it the high roller? Is it the one with some sort of secret knowledge? Is it the one who gave the most in the offering today? Who is God with? If God is with us, then the question that I have to ask is how do I be part of the us? God with us. What does it mean? Does it mean the people on the red carpet? Does it mean the people with power? Does it mean the people on Wall Street? Does it mean the, the, the people in the White House? Does it, does it mean the people in Hollywood? Who is it that God is with? I'm going to answer, you, answer that question by asking you this one question. To whom does the angel choir appear? Somebody? Shepherds. He, the angel choir didn't appear to Herod in his palace. The angels didn't, didn't appear to announce the coming of Christ to, to, uh, to Caiaphas in the temple, the high priest. No, the angel choir came to shepherds. The angel choir, the angel came to outcasts. The angel choir came to those with no credentials, with no resume, with no references, and with nothing to bring on their own. And I want you to know Jesus comes to those with no credentials, with no resume, with no references, with nothing to bring on their own. He is God with us. 
But, but you know what? We don't operate like that, do we? See, we come to God with, and say things like, God, I have been through so much turmoil. I, I've been through so much suffering. I've had so many problems that you must answer my prayer. Here are my credentials. I've endured so much pain. I, I've lost all my money. I, I went through all this suffering. My child has had this happen to him. God, you have to answer my prayer. Or maybe we just come to God and say, God, I, I gave $40,000 in the offering last year. God, I gave money to missions. God, I gave to benevolence. God, I gave to this. God, I gave to that. I gave, I gave, I gave. You have to answer me. Or we might say, God, I live more righteously than my neighbor. I don't go out drinking. I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't lie to people. We look at people and say, God, I I am better than them. I deserve more. And we give our credentials and we offer our resume and we say, God, I read, I read my Bible. God, I prayed. God, I did all of these things. And we say, we, you must answer me. But God is just waiting for us to put all of our resumes aside, to lay all of our credentials aside, to lay all of our references aside and say, God, I come to you with nothing to give but myself. We have to come to the place that we realize we have nothing to give. And so we stop bargaining with God. We stop saying, God, you owe me. And we start saying, God, you owe me nothing. Everything I have has already come from you. You see, when I get to that point, when, when I come to him in humility, when I come to him and say, I, I have nothing to give to you, I have nothing to offer and then, then he looks at me and he says, I, then I, I want you to know I have everything and I want to give it to you. So how do you get to be part of the us? You become part of the us, not by being a super spiritual person, but by being poor in spirit. Not by being those that are on top of the ladder, but being among those that say, I don't even know where the ladder is, but I want to come to you. How many understand that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us? Now, if this is true, if, if, if he is God with us, there are three consequences for the way we live. First of all, if he is in fact God with us, then we need to lift the limitations off of our thinking. If you have God living inside of you, if you have God who speaks and the heavens break forth with power, if you have God who spoke and Lazarus came forth from the dead, if you have God who spoke uh, the wind and the rain and the waves all stopped, if you have God, the very creator of the universe, if that God is living inside of you, then you need to quit thinking, I can't do that. I can never change. I can never be better. I can never be what, what God wants me to be and I can never do do what God wants me to do. You've got to get rid of that thinking. You've got to begin to realize that if God is for you, then it doesn't matter who stands against you. If God is for me, who can stand against me? If God is on my side, who can stand in my way? If God is inside me, then nothing is impossible if God tells me to do it. 
You need to lift the limitations off of your thinking during this Christmas season and understand that it's not just some self-help guru living in your heart. You know, you don't have Tony Robbins in your heart. Thank the Lord for that. God is with you. You you don't have a fat little Buddha whose uh, belly you rub for good luck. You have the God of the universe inside of you, and you have to start believing and thinking differently. You say, I could never become that. I can never overcome this sin. I can never break free from these things you may not be able to but I want you to know with God all things are possible he is God with us he is God you hear what I'm saying I'm saying this you may be a product of your past but you don't have to be a prisoner of it because God is inside of you now You may be a product of yesterday, but yesterday doesn't have to determine tomorrow because God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? So lift the limitations off of your thinking and start believing for something bigger. Start believing for something beyond. Start believing for something better in your life because God is with you. Do you really believe that he is Emmanuel? And if you do, if the answer is yes, then you need to start stretching your faith toward him in greater ways and believing to be somebody different than who you are right now. And so lift those limitations off of your thinking. Begin to think bigger. Begin to think beyond. Quit thinking this is all I'm ever going to be. This is all I've ever been and this is all I can ever be. You need to begin to believe that if God is with you, if God is living inside of you, there is a whole world outside of the boundaries that you have placed on yourself. Amen? Second, if He is God with us, Then the question I have for you is, what are you willing to do to be with him? Here's the question I have for you. If he was willing to claw his way from heaven to earth to get to you, then what are you willing to do to get to be with him? Can you get up a few minutes early, read your Bible and pray? Can you turn off the radio? Can you turn off ESPN? Can you put the phone down for a few minutes? Can you leave Facebook alone for a while? You know, sometimes God's people, we got to get off of Facebook and get on our faces. Can you figure out some way to remind you to draw yourself back to God? Maybe you set an alarm uh, throughout the day to remind you that you need to spend some time with him, to seek his face, to turn your attention to him. If God was willing to come from heaven to earth, he who was rich became poor so that you could be rich. If he was willing to cross the divide of time and eternity to die on a painful, shame-filled cross, then what are you willing to do to fight for time to be with him? And, And listen, I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but here's what I know. When you love somebody, you want to be with them. Isn't that right? You may remember those days uh, uh, when you're first uh, dating? Some of you are like, no, way too far back. But there's that, that, that time, I mean, yeah, hopefully it's still the same. Hopefully it's not like, you know, you've been married for 50 years. And you're like, oh, actually, I can live without him. Uh, I hope it's not that way. But, but, you know, when you first start dating, you just, 
you're just trying to find ways to be able to get together. You're always calling and you're always talking about the person and, and you're trying to find place, the places you can meet or, or, or dates. You're setting up dates, trying to spend as much time to, as you can together because when you love somebody, you want to be with them. So what are you going to do to be with Jesus? Could you, could you get up a little earlier? Could you turn off the TV a little earlier at night? Could you pray a little more? What are you going to, to do to be with him? Or are you just accepting and enjoying and clapping about everything he's done with you and just going on and ignoring it? See, here's what we got to understand. And some of you, you may have been living under false condemnation because you didn't realize it is a fight to be with him. It is a fight to be with him. Some of you have walked around. The enemy has convinced you that there's something wrong with you and that you, you're some sort of second-class Christian because it, you know, it just doesn't come easily to you. But I want you to understand this. Our sinful nature fights. Our flesh fights against being with him. It's a fight to be with him. That's why when you sit down and you begin to take some time and you begin to pray, all of a sudden, everything that you need to do that day comes to your mind. You hadn't thought about things all day long, right? But as soon as you begin to pray, what happens? Your mind is distracted. You're pulled away. There are things that you need to do. There are things that you, you're, you, you focus on. And it's because your flesh is fighting the, the opportunity to be with Him. Can I tell you this? The hardest work in the church is not keeping the nursery. Although that's pretty hard. Especially when you have a blowout diaper. But I want to go there. The hardest work in the church is not preaching a sermon or singing on the worship team. The hardest work in the church isn't visiting people. The hardest work in the church isn't, isn't uh, cleaning the church. The hardest work in the church isn't teaching a class. The hardest work in the church is not youth ministry. It's not children's ministry. It's not even teaching fifth grade boys. That's right up there, right? The hardest work in the church is praying. The question is, what are you doing to fight for that? Why is it hard? It's hard because everything else pulls for our time and we say, God, I'll get back to you on that. But if he is God with us, have you left him alone in your heart or are you fighting to get to be with him? Finally, the third thing is this, and we'll close with this. If he is God with us, then are you part of the us? Have you come to the place where you've said, God, I have nothing to offer, but everything I have is, is yours? Have you come to the place where you've stopped saying, God, answer my prayer because, and started praying, God, here I am. You do what you want. Have you come to the place where you realize that you are more wicked than you ever dare admit, but you're also more loved than you ever dreamed you could be all at the same time? Have you really embraced the gospel or, or are you saying, and listen, this is what a lot of people do. They say, I, I'm saved by grace. But now that my Etch-A-Sketch is all clear, I'm going to work really hard to keep it clear. See, we say I'm saved by grace, and then we try to live on our own. Now, I've got to come to God and say the gospel has to change every part of my life. I give everything over to you. I hold nothing back. I want to be part of the us. And maybe you're here and you need to see him as Emmanuel. 
God with us. And you need to lift the limitations off of your thinking. Or maybe you're here and you need to see him as Emmanuel, God with us. And you need to, deter- need to determine to pursue his presence more in your life. Or maybe you need to see him as Emmanuel, God with us. And you need to lay down everything that you have at his feet and surrender. And quit trying to impress God. And say, God, I'm nothing without you. Then, you know, maybe if we could get this in our hearts, maybe we just won't think of him as Emmanuel during the Christmas season. But instead, instead we'll live all year long with the truth of Emmanuel, God with us, as a reality in our hearts. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Bow your head together with me, would you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the indescribable gift, as Paul said.